Well, good evening. Welcome to the Wednesday night service there. And uh, we're going to, I'm going to go ahead and pray right away to start, and then we'll take prayer requests or praises if anybody has any. But let's open in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for all you do for us. I pray, Lord, you'd bless the service tonight. I pray you'd meet each need, Lord, as we get ready to discuss prayer requests and praises, Lord. I just pray that you'd uh, be with us as we do that and be with our pastor as he's away and traveling and others that will be traveling also give them safety I know Mike's traveling and and uh, pastor so just be with them as they travel in Jesus name I pray amen all right as we get started tonight again be, be in prayer for pastor he went up to Seattle there's a funeral this weekend for his sister-in-law so he'll be he'll be up there for that and I think some of the other families traveling as well so be in prayer for them and then, uh, as I mentioned, Mike Moyer left on his vacation to, today. Yeah, I'm trying to think of this today. And so pray for, the, pray for the Moyers and pray for Pastor and family. All right. How about others tonight? Anybody else have prayer requests tonight or, or a praise? Take either one tonight, prayer request or praise. Oh, go ahead, Kim. Right. Okay. Oh. Okay. So pray for Kim's mom and knee. All right. Sounds good. Anybody else? One ask prayer too for. There's a guy that worked on our air conditioners here for a long time. His name is Randy. I want to pray for two things for Randy. One, I'm not 100% sure he's saved. I talked to him a little bit yesterday on the phone, but he has actually leave. He was supposed to leave today for he's moving to Oregon. But I want you to pray for him. He's worked on our air conditioners for probably 18 years, and uh, he's a he's he's a nice guy. He lost his wife a few years ago, uh, but he's moving up there. To he's got his he's going to help take care of his mom who's older. But I want you to pray mainly for him for salvation, but also travel safety. I don't know if he's he was supposed to leave today, so just pray for him. I got to I talked to him about the Lord a little bit yesterday on the phone, and he says he believes, but I don't know to what end. But just pray for him for that and for safety. All right. Anybody else tonight? All right. Going to make it easy on me. Okay. <laughs> let's go to prayer with these requests. Uh, let's pray. Heavenly Father, again, we come to before you in prayer tonight. We're so thankful for all you do for us, Lord, your, the, your plan of salvation and then your grace and mercy towards us. We praise you for that, Lord, and all your love that you show us. You provide every need. We give you praises for all the answered prayer that we've seen. I traveled this past weekend and you gave me safety there and back, and I praise you for that. I do pray for Mike and Joanna and their family as they travel. Lord, just give them safety and uh, be with them and help them to have a great vacation. Lord, I pray you'd be with them and help them. I pray for Pastor and his family. Be with Pastor as he travels and the different family that's traveling. I pray for the funeral this weekend, Lord, for his, for his sister-in-law. I pray you'd be in that and just help. I pray if anybody family's there and does not know you as Savior, that they'll come to know you. And then I pray for Linda as she takes care of Leonard. Lord, I pray, Lord, you'd be with both of them. I pray you'd give her physical strength and spiritual uplifting, Lord, even now. And we're thankful for her and her family, and I pray you continue to bless them and be with them. 
I do pray for Kim's mom. Lord, I pray for her knee. I pray, Lord, you could help her to heal. And Lord, just bless her and be with her and help her and encourage her. I do pray for Randy, that uh, for uh, the man that worked on our AC all those years, Lord. And just give him safety as he travels to Oregon and be with him as he takes care of his mom. And Lord, you know his relationship with you. I pray that if he doesn't know you as Savior, that he'll come to know you. Um, but Lord, I pray you'd bless there. I praise you for our church tonight. Be with the nursery all the way up through the kids and the teens and the adults in here. Lord, meet every need. And Lord, uh, we just give you the praise for all things. Thank you for graduation last week. And then thank you for Sunday, for the promotion Sunday. Lord, we're thankful for that. And then, Lord, I pray tonight that you'd be with uh, Brother LJ as he speaks to us tonight. And just be with him as he shares the word of God. And help us, Lord, to apply what we learn to our lives. And again, if anybody's in our building, whether it's kids or adults that doesn't know you as Savior, I pray they come to know you today. And those watching online, yeah, Lord, if they need you, I pray that they come to know you. And we just give you the praise now. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, Brother LJ, come on up. All right, I get to hang out with the big kids tonight. So, good stuff. Yes, yes. Uh, please, no talking in the back there, sir. If uh, No, it's so good to be with you all. And uh, just wanted to say uh, from my wife and I, I want to say a special thank you to our church. Uh, we've seen a lot of answers to prayer personally, and today uh, marks a milestone for us. We've reached 34 weeks into this pregnancy. And uh, 12, 13 weeks ago, uh, we didn't know if we would be here. Uh, with our son still growing. And so God has worked miracles. And the doctor has told us once we hit 34 weeks, they said, really, you can go back to a lot of your normal activity. If he's going to be born, he's going to be just fine. And so that's pretty exciting. So I want to thank the church because I know so many of you have been praying and reaching out and uh, telling us you're praying. So thank you because God hears prayer and we get to see kind of a living miracle right now. And so just pray for Jess that she makes it through the hottest parts of the summer and doesn't kill me, uh, you know. Pray for me. No, thank you guys, though, so much. Take your Bibles. Go to the book of 1 Samuel, 1 Samuel chapter 1. And uh, Pastor had asked if I would uh, jump in tonight, since he and Mike are traveling, and continue to pray for them. And uh, I was trying to think of what to, what to preach on. And uh, 1 Samuel, the 1 Samuel, 1 and 2 Samuel, 1 and 2 Kings are some of the most enjoyable books for me to read through. I love learning about the different kings. I got to take some of our kids through a lot of the different kings of the Bible and, and just kind of seeing where Israel is at. And it's amazing when you look at uh, 1 Samuel, a lot of the parallels of some things we even see today. And tonight we will be speaking on a king. We're actually going to focus on a family. And I, I wish I could have thought of a title for this message, but in 1 Samuel chapter 1, there is just so much goodness in there and so much to learn from. So I have absolutely no title and I have absolutely no idea how long or how far we'll get in 1 Samuel chapter 1. But we're going to have a good time getting as far as we do tonight. So 1 Samuel chapter 1, look at verse number 1. It says, Now there was a certain man of Ramathea Zophim of Mount Ephraim, and his name was Elkanah the son of Jehoram, the son of Elihu, the son of Tohu, the son of Zuth, and Ephrathite. And he had two wives. The name of one was Hannah, and the name of the other, Penina. And Penina had children, but Hannah had no children. And this man went up out of his city yearly to worship and to sacrifice unto the Lord of hosts in Shiloh. And the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, the priests of the Lord, were there. And when the time was that Elkanah offered, he gave to Penina his wife and to all her sons and to her daughters portions. 
But unto Hannah he gave a worthy portion. For he loved Hannah, but the Lord had shut up her womb. Let's have a word of prayer as we focus on this one family in the book of 1 Samuel. Heavenly Father, I thank you for today and the opportunity to teach from your word. And God, I do pray you'd be with us. I pray you'd guide my words. I pray you'd speak to every heart as there's so much application that we can get from this passage. I do pray that uh, we would walk away with one thing tonight. God, I thank you so much for our church. Uh, I thank you for our pastor, for Mike. I pray you'd keep them safe as they're traveling and bring them back to us safely, Lord. And God, we do pray that you would continue to bless in so many ways, God, as you have. And we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Some background to the book of 1 Samuel. 1 Samuel is an interesting time period. You're coming off of uh, the latter part of the book of Judges. So really, for the last 400 years, Israel has become a huge mess. You read through the book of Judges, and it's really just this really terrible cycle of sin and punishment and repentance and then back to sin again. Israel decides, hey, I want to kind of be like everybody else, so I'm going to worship some idols like everybody else. And God says, okay, but you know I can't bless you if that happens. And so they step away from God's blessing. They step out of God's protection. And God allows uh, an enemy nation to come in and conquer the people of Israel. And they get what I would, when I teach the kids, I call it a spiritual spanking over and over and over again. And they say, God, we're sorry, we won't do it again. He sends a judge to deliver them. They do well for a few years and right back at it. And for 400 years, that's how they've been living. And you get to 1 Samuel, you're getting toward the end of that. You get to 1 Samuel chapter 1, and God takes a a little uh, break from looking at the whole nation and focuses on one seemingly insignificant family. When you look at this, uh, the place that they're in, the place known as Ramah, it's about 25 miles north of Jerusalem. Where the tabernacle is, there was no temple built, so it's uh, a movable place of worship. It is, it is like a, a, mo- a mobile worship place. It's like church on wheels, basically, is what the tabernacle was like. It's a giant tent that they could move from place to place. And it had settled in the city of Shiloh. And Shiloh was about 15 miles away from where they lived. So it really wasn't a far journey for them to go. Elkanah was a Levite. Uh, the tribe of Levi had been chosen to serve the Lord in the tabernacle. They had no land of their own, so they were scattered throughout all the other tribes of Israel. And Elkanah had a pretty interesting, though not uncommon, uh, home situation because he had two wives. Now, having multiple wives in the time of Scripture during this time was not uncommon. Now, don't mistake that for thinking God was okay with it or that's God was fine with it. No, it just happened. Everyone did it. Most people did it. Even people who we would look at as Bible heroes had multiple wives. You have men like Abraham. You have men like David. You certainly have men like Solomon. Had multiple wives. It was a common practice, but it's not the way the Lord had intended for their families to be, and it certainly never ended well. And so you've got Elkanah. Now, he had married Hannah. Hannah was likely his first wife. And the reason that we think he was the, she was the first wife is because one of the main reasons for him to take on a second wife was if his first wife could not bear children. And Hannah was barren. When you look at scripture, it says in verse 5 that the Lord had shut up her womb. It was of God that she had had no children yet. But culturally, that was unacceptable. 
In most of the Jewish culture, since children were looked at as a direct blessing of God, then if someone could have no children, it was seen as the opposite, a direct curse from God. It was seen as a punishment from God. And, and for Elkanah, his, his family line depended on his having sons. And so he marries a second wife. And she has multiple children. But it says that Elkanah loved Hannah. It says in verse number 5, it says that unto Hannah he gave a worthy or double portion because he loved her. When you look at this family, you first of all see a devoted but divided family. Elkanah, the Bible says in verse number, uh, verse number 7, And as he did so year by year, when uh, she went up to the house of the Lord, so she provoked her, and therefore she wept and did not eat. So here's what's happening. Elkanah is taking his family to Shiloh. In Deuteronomy and in Exodus, God commands his, his people, especially the men, to travel three times to what he referred to as wherever I put my name there. And it's referring to the tabernacle and later the temple. So by Jewish law, three times a year, the men of the house and their whole families, if able, were to go before the Lord and offer sacrifices. This was a big deal. And so Elkanah, he's only 15 miles away, he takes his family with him. And when you look at that, you see a man who, I believe, and based on his actions, was devoted to God, at least ceremonially. He's doing what he was told to do. And he's teaching his family to do it, too. The portions he would have given them would have been what was required for that particular sacrifice. Some sacrifices required a specific animal. They required sometimes grain and other supplies. And he would have been the one responsible to get that. And he would have given that as their portion, their sacrifice. And yet he gives more because part of the ritual was to then eat the sacrifice. He gave more to Hannah than he did to Penina because Hannah was his favorite. And you think about the way the dynamic of his home is working. You see a man who's trying to lead his family. Yes, biblically speaking, he is teaching them God's word. He is devoted to the Lord, but his relationships are divided. The two wives didn't quite get along, and I'm sure you can all imagine with good reason. You got the favorite, Hannah, and you got the sister wife, Penina, and she has had multiple children, and she is, should be, in her eyes, probably favored by Elkanah. And he says, yeah, that's wonderful. You have these children. She's still my favorite. But then it says there's a rivalry between the two because you've got Penina who is constantly, the Bible says, provoking Hannah. She's taunting her. She's teasing her, and, and if you think about it, I had, to, I had to kind of, I got to talk with my wife about this passage, because to see it from a lady's perspective, you've got Hannah, who probably feels completely useless to her husband, because the one thing, bearing children, which would have been the most important, she can't do. And she knows the problem physically is with her, because Penina has multiple children. But then you've got Penina. And she's like, why does he still love her? Why did he even marry me? So you've got these ladies battling and jockeying for position. And then you've got Elkanah. Now Elkanah is a, is a good example of what not to say when your wife is going through something difficult. Because in verse number 8 it says, Then said Elkanah, her husband to her, 
Hannah is weeping. Hannah is sad. She has been taunted and taunted by Penina for the fact that she can't have children. And he says, Elkanah, her husband, to her, Hannah, why weepest thou? Why are you crying? And why aren't you eating? And why is thy heart grieved? Why are you so upset? Am not I better than ten sons? He says to her, why are you so upset? I mean, you got me. Don't do that. He says, don't cry. It's like saying, relax. I've learned that's the wrong thing to say. You know, you've got Elkanah completely aloof to what's going on in his home. It just seems like, when I read this at least, I don't see a man who doesn't care about his family. Clearly he has provided for them. I don't see a man who doesn't believe in God or in worship because he's going to worship. But I see a man who religiously is doing well, but relationally, he's struggling. And you know, there's a lot to take away for us from just that right there. First of all, I think for us, what we can learn from this is make worship a priority no matter what's happening. Elkanah, I think, still had an idea that there were issues going on, but he didn't let the issue stop him from his worship of the Lord. He still took his family to the house of God. And all of us have had those days where things are just not going well at home. And we're tempted even because it always happens on like a Sunday, Sunday morning. And something doesn't go right or maybe you didn't sleep well or just something happens and you're irritated. And we all have done this before. Where we come into church and you put on the church face, the smile. And how are you doing? Awesome. And you know you've already stuck your foot in your mouth, guys, in the car on the way there. And you've got to apologize. And something has happened. And sometimes Satan can take that and say, why go? You know, the thing about a church is we, we don't have to fake it. If we're having a rough time, that's okay. And you're having a rough day or something didn't quite go right at home, that's okay. Because we're human. It's going to happen. And Alcana, even though things were not going well at home, he decided, I'm still, still God is my priority, and we've got to make it to the house of the Lord. When situations are difficult, when things are a mess, many times that's when we need God's house more. Many times that's when we need the preaching of God's word, when we need to learn and hear from God's word. And it's oftentimes when Satan fights it the most, because the biggest, the, the, the most difficult problems are always the ones at home. But when you look at Elkanah, religious ceremony does not indicate a righteous home either. You see, for Elkanah, probably in Shiloh, he looked really good. But he wasn't really looking to the state of his home. And while problems at home, as much as possible, we need to make it to the house of the Lord... On the flip side, just going to church does not just automatically fix the problems that might be at home. You see, without the Holy Spirit transforming us personally, it's just ceremony. That doesn't make the home what God intends it to be. What's wonderful about our God is he likes to take messy people and clean them up. My, my daughter is a year, over, over a year and a half now, and she's at this weird stage where she like licks her hands 
all the time. And then she'll touch things and then lick her hands again. And I'm, I'm wondering how good her books taste because sometimes she licks those too, I'm just saying. And <laughs> I don't know why. I think one time she ate a piece of the book in the car, all right? There's, we still, I think we still have, it's got a chunk missing from it. We do feed our child, I promise. You know, my daughter can, can make a mess. She has this thing about pulling everything out of her toy bins and then just sitting in the middle of them. Books everywhere, toys everywhere, random pieces that I haven't seen. I'm pretty sure my wedding ring went missing for like a few weeks. I'm pretty sure she stole it. I found it in a bin, and I'm pretty sure she shoved it in there. I was like, oh, there it is. You know, my daughter makes a mess and needs help cleaning it up. And right now, my daughter just kind of walks out of the room and goes to her bedroom. I clean it up. You know, when there's a mess at home, don't be afraid to ask God to help clean it up. Things are going to happen. You can't give up because God hasn't given up. You look at this family, you look at the nation of Israel, and really, this family is just a small picture of what was going on in all of Israel. Elkanah and his family are a perfect model for the mess that the entire nation was in. And yet, from this, really, this mess of a family, God's about to do something miraculous. God's about to do something incredible. And you know what's amazing is our God can take the mess that we tend to be and do something incredible with it if we let him. And so we see here that they go to the house of the Lord, they're taking part in the sacrifice, and he has a devoted but divided home, but I want you to see there's also a desperate but very direct prayer. And look at verse number 9, it says, So Hannah rose up after they had eaten in Shiloh. So that's significant because part of the worship was that the, the best parts of the meat would go to the Lord. The fat, the best parts, that was given to the Lord. Then, for some sacrifices, a portion was taken by the priests. Whoever had helped offer that, they would take it, it would be at random. Now, when we, if we get to it, and if you delve deeper, you'll see that the religion, the, the, the religious um, uh, uh, powers were corrupt. The, the, uh, uh, Eli and his sons were, have messed up the tabernacle completely. And so, then a portion, though, was supposed to go to the family. And they would eat it. That was part of the worship ceremony. It was a big feast. And so after they had eaten, the Bible says that Hannah, in verse number 9, it says, And after they had drunk, now Eli the priest sat upon a seat by a post of the temple of the Lord. And she was in bitterness of soul and prayed unto the Lord and wept sore. The Bible says, And she vowed a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if thou wilt indeed look on the affliction of thine handmaid, and remember me, and not forget thine handmaid, but will give unto thine handmaid a man-child, then I will give him unto the Lord all the days of his life, and there shall no razor come upon his head. After one of the meals, Hannah goes to the tabernacle, and she bears her soul to the Lord. And everything I just read in verse number 11 was not said out loud. Because if you look at verse number 12, it says, And it came to pass, as she continued praying before the Lord, that Eli marked her mouth. Now Hannah, she spake in her heart, only her lips moved, but her voice was not heard. Therefore Eli thought she had been drunken. So she is bearing her soul to the Lord. Her mouth is moving, but nothing is coming out. 
God hears the prayers of your heart, even if they aren't spoken verbally. You don't have to go before the Lord with a bunch of religious talk. You can come genuinely before him, even when you have no idea what to say. Now, Eli, the high priest, he's the the man in charge, and this kind of gives a glimpse into the fact that he really spiritually was so far from the Lord because he looks at her and says, oh, she must be drunk because she's just babbling. He even says, why are you drinking? It's so early in the day. It's not 12 o'clock yet. No, I'm just kidding. And she tells him, she says, I'm not, I'm not a woman of Belial. I'm not a woman of deceit. I, I don't, I'm not drinking. No, I'm bearing my soul to the Lord is basically what she tells him. I have been pouring out my request to the Lord. You see, Hannah's prayer was not for show. It may have been made in a public place like we might have a time of prayer at an altar at a church. But it was sincere. And what's amazing about her prayer is that the vow she makes is only between her, the Lord, and Elkanah. And I used to think when I read this, oh, she's playing like, let's make a deal with the Lord. Like, you do this, I'll do that. You give me a man-child, yeah, I'll let him serve you. You do this for me, I'll do that. That's not what she's saying. She's saying, God, this is what I want. This is what I'm asking for. And this is how I will steward what you give me. When Hannah tells him, I will I will take this child and I will raise him for you. She's saying, if you answer my prayer in the way that I'm asking, it will not be, I will not use that answer to prayer for my own benefit. I will give him back to you for your honor and glory. I will do this your way. And one of the phrases, one of the titles she keeps calling herself is the handmaid of the Lord. That word handmaid is a slave. That's what she's saying. And what she's saying is, Lord, I am not worthy. I'm going to come and ask. And by the way, we are never worthy to ask of the Lord. And yet God says, come and ask me anyway. I want to hear from you. Come and say, but I don't deserve that. We don't deserve anything. You might as well ask him. I think children teach us a lot about prayer. Even when they don't deserve something, you know they're going to ask for it. And they do it with confidence. They're like, yeah. They just got in trouble. Then five minutes later, can I have some dessert? No. Kids in my class, when I was teaching, they would say, they would get in trouble, and then, so can I go play now? I'm like, kid, no, no, you're going to sit for a few minutes. You just, you just punched a kid, okay? You can't do that. You know what? We don't, we're not worthy of anything from the Lord. And that's what's amazing. He says, ask for it anyway. Because he delights in giving to his children what is good. And Hannah goes before the Lord, and she says, I will steward what you give me. My wife and I, a few weeks ago, we watched a message uh, from uh, a church, uh, Lancaster Baptist Church, and Dr. Shetler had preached a message on prayer. And what's really neat is the, way, the three words he gave, the three ways in which to pray, is exactly what Hannah did. And one of the first things he says is, when you pray, don't let your prayers be hazy. We said, don't let them be vague. God wants specific prayers. Lord, bless me today. Okay, but How? You ever had your kids try to ask you for something and you have no, like Eloise, she can't, she talks, but I don't know what she says most of the time. And she just asks, she, she does more and she'll just keep doing this. I'm like, what do you want? Do you want this? No. And now she says no to like everything. So I'm like, I don't know what you want. Cookie. Okay, good. I can get that. You know, with kids, sometimes we can look and say, well, what, you need to tell me what it is you want. You know, I think sometimes God says the same thing. Hey, why don't you get real specific with me? 
Hannah got real specific. It wasn't like, Lord, just help me right now. It was, no, Lord, I want a man-child. I want a boy. I want a kid. I want a boy. I want him now. You know, God says be specific with your prayers. If God isn't answering prayers, double-check to make sure they're specific. Because what's amazing about specific prayer is you get specific answers. And you get to see God work in specific ways. He had said, don't let your prayers be hazy. He also said, don't let your prayers be lazy. Uh, you ever, um, and I, I mean, I think we're all guilty of this. You're just kind of walking, okay, Lord, well, I pray for this and I pray for that. And you ever get distracted when you pray? Has anyone ever done, am I the only one that gets, I get real distracted with everything. So, uh, but you ever get real distracted while you're kind of walking around praying and then you're like, what was I doing? What was I asking God for? You know what God says? He says, no, I want you to pray with passion. You don't have to have a lot of religious talk, but when you pray, Include your intellect and include your emotion. Do you know you can go to God angry? Read a lot of the Psalms. David was angry a lot. And he told God that. But he told God. You can go to God. We, we, we know, okay, when I'm sad or I'm, I'm, I, I'm down, I can talk to the Lord. But you know, you can tell him specifically what's making you sad. One of the amazing things about God is he is the only being in all of the universe that says, I want you to bother me 24-7, and I don't get annoyed. He says, in fact, I get frustrated when you don't come to me. He says, hey, don't let your prayers be uh, uh, hazy. Don't let them be lazy. Pray with passion. Pray like you want something. Pray like when your kids really want something and they ask you. He says, hey, don't let your prayers be crazy. Sometimes we can ask for things we know we probably should. Lord, give me, if you let me win the lotto, and I hit the big mega millions jackpot, I will tithe 10% to you. Okay, that's probably not one the Lord meant. Now, if he does, tithe 20% to the church, okay? All right, just say it. That's an unwritten rule. It's in the Hebrew if you delve really deeply. He says, hey, don't let them be crazy. You say, but I need a new vehicle. Okay, pray for a new vehicle. Now, if you're praying for like the brand new Ferrari, that may not be the way to go. God's not going to give us everything we want, but he is very good at giving us everything we need and then some. And when Hannah is praying to the Lord, she has a, a definite problem and she knows God has the only solution. So she goes to him. The Bible says in Matthew chapter 6, But thou, when thou prayest, enter into thy closet, and when thou hast shut thy door, pray to thy Father which is in secret. So don't, don't do it for show. In 1 John it says, And this is the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he heareth us. And if we know that he hear us, whatsoever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we desired of him. You say, how do I know if I'm praying to the Lord? Talk to the Lord about what you're praying about. He will give you an answer. You pray for that Ferrari long enough, he's going to eventually tell you no. But there's a Toyota over here. Oh, thank you. Hannah had a decisive prayer. And she had a prayer of passion. I know for me, sometimes the reason I think God isn't working is because I'm not always asking him to. Because God doesn't force himself upon us. He says, but you asked me to do something big. He's like, I'm very good at doing that. Ask Moses. Ask some of the men in the Bible. It's the same God. The Bible says in 
uh, verse number 14 and or verse number 15, it says, And Hannah answered and said, No, my Lord, I am a, a woman of a sorrowful spirit. She explains to Eli, Hey, I'm not drunk, but I'm praying. It says in verse 17, Then Eli answered and said, Go in peace, and the God of Israel grant thy petitions that thou hast asked of him. He says, Hey, oh, I, I'm sorry, you know, I misunderstood. Go in peace, and I hope the Lord answers your prayer. That's basically all Eli says. And Hannah goes back home. And the Bible says in verse 19, it says, And they rose up in the morning early and worshipped before the Lord. When your prayers haven't quite been answered, keep worshipping. Sometimes we want God to work on our timetable. And like I'm one of the, if you ask my wife, I'm extremely impatient. God, can you just do it now? But if he hasn't quite answered yet, don't stop your worship either. The Bible says, and, uh, and uh, they rose up in the morning early and they worshiped before the Lord and returned and came to the house of Ramah. And Elkanah knew Hannah's wife and the Lord remembered her. I was talking with my wife about that and she said that is one of, I think you said one of your favorite quotes from that, or one of the most powerful portions of scripture. It's not saying the Lord like forgot about it. It's like, oh, oh, Hannah, of course. Yeah, I remember her. It's not like the reminder popped up on his phone. Oh, yeah, okay, answer Hannah's prayer. No, it's not what it's saying. It's the Lord took note of her. God takes note of his children. And God takes note of the prayers of his children. And sometimes I think we go one of two ways. We try to do it ourselves. Or we think, I don't know if that's important enough for God. But the Lord wants to remember you. He already knows you. But when you pray, and you pray with passion, and when you're devoted to the Lord, and I'm not saying you're earning his attention, but I'm saying the Lord remembers. The Lord takes note of the needs of his children. And the Bible says the Lord remembered her, wherefore it came to pass when the, Lord, uh, when the time was come, about after Hannah had conceived that she bare a son and called his name Samuel, saying, because I have asked him of the Lord. She said, I'm naming my son Samuel because he's what I asked God for, asked of God. You had a mess of a home. There's no doubt about it. Elkanah's home was a mess. You've got a woman who... After this chapter, we don't see anything else about. But she went to God. And she says, God, this is what I need. And not only that, God, whatever you want to do, I will do with it, whether it's to have a child or to be barren, I will do with it what you want me to do. And God remembered her. We see a divine and dynamic miracle because her prayer, first of all, is realized. She has her boy. She has her son. And she raises her son for only a few years. As the Bible says, as you look at verse number uh, 21, And the man Elkanah and all his house went up to offer unto the Lord the yearly sacrifice and his vow. But Hannah went on up, for she said unto her husband, I will not go up until the child be weaned. So roughly three to four years old, when he can feed himself, basically. And then I will bring him that he may appear before the Lord and there abide forever. It's interesting. 
Did you know she couldn't have done that unless Elkanah had said it was okay? You see, vows in Scripture, God had very specific rules for promises made to God. And for a married woman, her husband could void that vow. Now, God wouldn't punish. God would not have gotten angry with Hannah because that's part of the rule. If your husband said no, then she couldn't do it. Elkanah and Hannah had to come together that this would be the last time their son lived in their home. And while Elkanah brought the sacrifice of meat, Hannah brought the sacrifice of her son. Sounds a lot like our Heavenly Father who brought the sacrifice of his son. She brings uh, Samuel, and we won't read all the rest. Oh, we can read a few more. we got a little bit of time. It says, uh, but Han- uh, in verse 23, And Elkanah, her husband, said unto her, Do what seemeth thee good, tarry until thou have weaned him. Only the Lord establish his word. Don't forget, you, we made a promise. we we got to keep it. So the woman abode and gave her son suck until she weaned him. And when she had weaned him, she took him up, to, up with her with three bullocks and one ephah of flour and a bottle of wine and brought him unto the house of the Lord in Shiloh. And the child was young. So she goes there. She takes a sacrifice as well. And she takes her son and she takes him to Eli. Eli's the high priest. She says, do you remember me a few years back? And I prayed and I asked for a son. And Eli remembered her. Here he is. And because he's a Levite, there's no other place he should be but the tabernacle. That day, Hannah takes her son. She takes him to the tabernacle and says, he is yours. It was the ultimate way of giving her son to the Lord. Now, i got to be honest with you. I have my daughter, and we're going to have our son. I don't know if I could have done that. If, if my wife had made that promise, about what? You better get a neighbor's child and take him over there. You ain't taking mine. But Elkanah and Hannah said, no, we made a promise. And we told God, because God was more important. We'll do what he wants. Now, parents, please don't bring your children tomorrow to the church and leave them here with us, okay? We're not watching them and raising them for you. But it is a really good picture of what the family is for. And for us who have kids at home, and this is becoming a real quick reality for my wife and I, it's raising up our children to follow the Lord. It's not that we're perfect at it, because we're not. But that's the goal. And they took their child and said, God, he is yours. Now, this took a lot of faith because the tabernacle was a mess in and of itself. Eli and his sons had really corrupted the priesthood, and yet they knew this is what God wanted. And can you imagine the thought in their mind? you got to understand, during this time, people are leaving the tabernacle and not wanting to go there because of what Eli and specifically his sons are doing. They perverted the entire worship of the Lord. People were like, I ain't worshiping the Lord if this is what's going to happen when I come here. And Elkanah kept going. In spite of the imperfection of the religion that was there at the time, they still devoted themselves to the Lord and they still, by faith, trusted that God could do a better job with their children than anyone else could. And we're still in that position today where as we teach our children God's word and as we let the Holy Spirit change us so they see it, 
Because they're going to see our flaws. I'm amazed at what my daughter has picked up. And I'm scared at what my daughter has picked up. I'm like, man, I've got to be careful because she's going to do what I do. She, already, she has a temper. I'm like, man, that's like a little me, but a girl version. And a baby, that's a scary thought. You know, our children are going to take after us. And yes, they're going to pick up on our flaws. But you know what? When we decide, God, you're number one, just do your best. Uh, God, work in me, change me, and I trust you with my children. I'll teach them your word. Hey, God can do a great job. And Samuel, right here, as he grows up in the tabernacle, and as you continue to read, and in chapter 2, you see Hannah's prayer of thanks, and then she kind of fades off the scene. Samuel is now going to be the last judge and first prophet in Israel. And it's going to be Samuel who God uses to bring revival to Israel. It's going to be Samuel that God uses to speak to the monarchy when the kingdom is established. And he lives through uh, one king and and helps establish the second and even greater king, David. And, And Samuel's going to make a big impact, but it started with one family that was kind of a mess. But they took that mess to God. And they let God do what he wanted. What will God do with your family? Don't worry about being perfect. Because we can't. But we can be devoted. We can put God first. And we can take, when we make a mess, we can take that to the Lord. And he is pretty good at fixing that mess. And how amazing will it be to see what God does with us and what God does with our children. And for some in here, our grandchildren and great-grandchildren. But it started with a family in the house of the Lord. Our Heavenly Father... I thank you for today. And God, I thank you for passages like this because this is not a perfect family. But it's a family you use. God, I thank you for the families in our church. None of us are perfect. And yet you want to take us and transform us and transform our children and transform grandchildren and great-grandchildren. You want to use them for your honor and glory. And so, Lord, I ask and pray that you would help us to make the, your worship, not just religious ceremony, Lord, but the worship of you, priority in our life. And God, I pray that you'd help us all to let the Holy Spirit transform us. God, I pray for our children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren that, God, you would take them And God, we're in a world that's a mess and we need you more than ever. And God, I pray you'd help us to trust you. And we pray, pray, Lord, you would take our children and and the grandchildren and great-grandchildren, God, that not only would you protect them, but you would transform them and you would use them to change this world. God, I pray you'd help us to improve in our prayer life. And I pray, Lord, you'd help us not to give up. I'm thankful Elkanah and Hannah didn't give up. And you use them and you use their son. So God, I pray as we look at this passage and as we take this home tonight, God, it starts with a family in the house of the Lord.
God, thank you for all that you've done for us. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Well, thank you guys for being here tonight and be here Sunday. Keep our pastor, keep uh, all of our church family that's traveling throughout the entire summer. There'll be a lot of going on. And I look forward to seeing you all on Sunday. And uh, please pick up your children if you have them here. You can't leave them, all right? All right. You guys have a wonderful night.